I'm Pastor Michael Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. So many years ago, I think I was like maybe around 13, I remember my parents sent me to visit my Nana out in California, and she took me to, you know, the, all the spots, Disney and um, Hollywood Studios, but I think it was called something else at the time, I can't remember. They had star tours there, so I went on star tours like three times in a row, it was pretty great. Uh, but then we also went to Universal Studios, and they had a studio tour. I don't know if it's changed or not, but it, it may have. And, you know, Jaws would, like, come up out of the water, and, like, there was a King Kong that would come out in the whole earthquake simulator. And I remember there was one part of the ride that you, you would drive up to where this water was, and then the waters would sort of, like, slowly open in part like this. And then the little, you know, truck could drive through, and the whole thing was about the magic of the movies. And look at all these cool effects we can do. And thinking back about that, on that, I was like, well, the whole ride itself is a little lame, except for, like, the earthquake part. But coming up to this water, I don't know, there was, it wasn't very deep. And it kind of opened like this. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool, I guess. But the story of the Red Sea, which is kind of what that was, you know, because you imagine, you know, Charlton Heston with his, you know, his red robe and his staff and all that kind of was trying to show us how, how, they, how they did it uh, in the movie. But the reality is a far different story. And, and what we actually see in Scripture is beyond what we'd be able to accomplish, I think, with any practical uh, special effects work. And before we dig into this, the text from Exodus this morning, I think we need to note that the story is, number one, really awesome. And I think we also need to acknowledge that, number two, I, I think apart from you know, the resurrection of Christ, this is one of the most contentious miracle stories in the Bible, right? So when you turn on the History Channel, you always have these programs about, well, Jesus, did he really rise from the dead? No. I mean, maybe he swooned and they took his body down and nursed him back to health and he married Mary Magdalene and they went off and they had these weird children who became this obscure line of French kings. Uh, no, History Channel, the History Channel is terrible for history, funnily enough. But, but you, like, and one of these things that you see all the time is they, they try to use naturalistic explanations to determine the miracles of scripture. Well, this is how it could have happened according to the laws uh, of nature. And when we do that, we, we, miss the, we miss out on what the text is saying. And I think in some ways we need to learn as people, as Christians especially, to read the scriptures in a, in a way that's more pre-modern, I guess, that actually takes into account the supernatural aspects of the story. And so there's a lot of questions about, about this. You know, well, what body of water are we at, actually? Is this the Red Sea? Is this the Sea of Reeds? Is this another place? Is it a canal? The water would have been too shallow to drown anyone. Where are we exactly? Did this actually happen or not? So we'll address some of those, I guess, a little bit, because we probably should, I suppose, right? So when you look at the Sinai Peninsula, you know, it's kind of like this V-shape like this, and you have this body of water on the left side and on the right side. So really interestingly, satellite imagery has shown that on the left side, there were a series of lakes and actually canals that the Egyptians had built that kind of all linked together up with this main body of water that flows down into uh, the Red Sea 
proper. And so we know now that these lakes were, could have been pretty big and all sort of interconnected. So it kind of moves us past, well, where are we? Is it shallow? There's actually a significant body of water that in the ancient world was kind of all connected together, together moving down. And last week, when we took a look at the story of Passover and the death of the firstborn of all of the Egyptians, we emphasized a major theme of that story that often gets overlooked, is that God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he is judging the gods of Egypt. And we talked about how this would include Pharaoh and how Yahweh, God, is throwing their whole ordered system into chaos to show that he is the true God and that their gods are nothing. And he's going to continue to show this as his people leave Egypt. And when we last left the people of Israel, they'd been liberated from Egypt by God's mighty hand and had been led out by Moses. And on the way, the Egyptians are so glad to see them go. Like, please, just go. They give them food and gold and plunder them without allowing themselves to be plundered without actually, without any violence. Just, just like, please go. Maybe like if you have a guest at your house and they're overstaying their welcome, just give them a little bit of food. Here, here's some gas money. Just please get out. Go home now. You don't have to go home. You can't stay here. Please leave me alone. I need to go to bed. On the way out, they, 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 they plunder without plundering. And so Pharaoh then changes his mind. His, his heart is hardened by God and he doesn't want to let them go. So he assembles an army of chariots to pursue him. And while all this is going on, the people of Israel are being led by a giant pillar of fire at night and a giant pillar of cloud in the daytime. And then as when we get to this part of the story, they all know that Pharaoh's army is closing in on them and they are terrified. And then this happens in verse uh, 19. The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel, right, that's in the pillar of fire, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Now this is really, really awesome stuff here. So remember, the pillar of fire is leading them by night. It blocks them from the Egyptians. It moves behind. And we see here in the text that the, the pillar of fire is actually not a what, but the pillar of fire is actually a who. It's actually a who. And we see here, verse 19, the angel of the Lord. And since we're careful readers of Exodus, this should make us think a couple of chapters back, brothers and sisters, of something that happened with Moses when he was minding his own business, taking care of the sheep on the backside of the mountain. The burning bush. Remember, it's on fire, and he's like, oh, that's really interesting. I must pass by to see why this bush is on fire and not being consumed. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the bush. Right, so this is the same God that appeared to Moses. And we see at the end of this chapter, it says that they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses, the people of Israel, right? This is the ongoing identification of I am the, the true God, right? I am the God that appeared to Moses. And remember, God says to Moses when he appears to him, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he's identifying himself as the God of the patriarchs, the God of the covenant. And we also know, reading backwards, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? We know that the angel of the Lord 
is Yahweh himself. And we know who that is, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Moses stretches out his hand over the waters and God causes the wind to blow all night from the east. And this not only makes two walls of water, it dries the ground for the people of Israel to cross to the other side. And they pass safely through, saved from their enemies by walking through the water. The waters of deliverance. And the Egyptians, even though being blocked by the manifest fiery presence of God himself, being blinded by the glory, uh, the cloud of his glory, and these two walls of water, they still pursue the people of Israel. And after the people of Israel cross, Yahweh, it says he, he's in the fire and he looks down, which is really cool. And he causes the Egyptians to panic and their wheels to become clogged. So they're panicking and the ground is turning from being dry to being wet. So they can't get through. They don't know what's going on. They're probably turning around. The horses are probably rearing and throwing them all over the place. Moses stretches out his hand once more over the sea. The waters come crashing back down and the Egyptian army is defeated, drowned in the waters that their enemies passed through and were saved by. The waters of destruction. So, like all stories in Exodus, this has layer upon, upon layer, and we're limited in our time this morning, as always, unfortunately. So, we'll cover just a couple of points. One of the first major points we see here is that Yahweh is sovereign, that God is sovereign. Right, and so we, like we saw last week, this story continues the theme of the God of Israel, the true God, judging the gods of Egypt and showing his might and power over them. And the Old Testament scholar Michael Heiser, he notes some interesting things here. So the wind that blows, right, which splits the waters, comes from, we see in the text of Exodus, comes from the east. And the east was believed to be where the sun and the earth met, because that's where the sun rises, and we have to remember that the Egyptians worshipped the deity Re. And that the land in the east was to be was to believed to be the land of Re. And so every morning Re would rise to rule over the world. But what does Yahweh do? He appears in the fire and the cloud, obscures the people, and uses a wind from the east to divide the sea, and then destroys the Egyptians leading the people of Israel into the land that is supposed to belong to Re. But it doesn't belong to Re, it belongs to Yahweh. All the earth belongs to Yahweh. Hydra notes this, they're going to go out into the desert and worship Yahweh at his mountain. And then the plan is to go to Yahweh's own land, Canaan. He'll lead Israel on whatever route he pleases. No permission is needed from Re. And even more to the point, Yahweh has laid claim to part of the God's land, Canaan, because it isn't Re's to claim. Second point we can look at here briefly is the waters of salvation. So in the story, the people are camped by the water with the Egyptians pressing in on them. And from their perspective, they had nowhere to go. Because you can't just swim across a, a big lake. It's, I mean, maybe if you were like super fit, but it would take you a really long time. And there's, I think the text says 600,000 men. So even more women and children. There's not enough boats to ferry them across. May not have been any boat. But what they thought was a trap is the instrument of, of their salvation, right? The people walk through the water onto dry ground. And so when we fast forward and we look at this from the New Testament perspective, we see something very interesting. St. Gregory of Nyssa makes this observation. The people itself, by, by, by passing through the Red Sea, proclaimed the good tidings of salvation by water. The people passed over and by these actions 
this sacrament was foretold. And St. Paul says in, Saint, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Baptized into Moses. Water as the instrument of salvation is all over the Bible. Right? I grew up kind of Bapticostal, so that meant Baptist theology is, tech, is pretty much baptism, water baptism and, and communion. These are really good things, but they're just acts of obedience that we do to show God that we mean business, or it's just our way to sh- a true way for us to sincerely show our faith to God. And, and those are helpful ways of looking at it. But when you read Scripture, we can't get away from water as the, one of the instruments of salvation. It's all over the Bible. We see it here in the Red Sea. We see it again in the Jordan when the people cross over. There's a miracle at the Jordan River, just like what happened at the Red Sea. The high priests with the Ark of the Covenant, which is representative of the presence of God, step into the waters. And what happened? The waters part, and the people cross through the, 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 the open Jordan River across dry ground. Where? Into Canaan the promised land, God's land that he's given to them, right? And we see the cleansing of Naaman the leper in the Jordan River being washed and cleansed of his leprosy. And then we see, you know, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his own baptism in the Jordan. The church fathers note that, that this is an act that sanctifies the water so that anyone else who passes through the water themselves will, will be cleansed. So water as an instrument of our salvation, our cleansing from sin, is, is all over Scripture. But the same waters that preserved the lives of the people of Israel are also the same waters that brought destruction upon their enemies. So for their oppression, for their hard-heartedness, they are judged, them and all of their gods, and they're, and they're found wanting. And St. Augustine, he, he likens the pursuing Egyptians to... Sins that sort of pursue us. And Christ, who sanctifies the waters, he makes an end to our enemies of sin and death, just as the waters brought an end to the Egyptians. And the waters of baptism are are perilous, and, and, and they're dangerous, and we ignore them or minimize them at our peril. One time I, I received an email from a couple who asked me if I, I would baptize their, their baby. And so I... I, when somebody asks me to do this, I always ask a couple of questions. Well, are you a member of our church, number one? No, yes, no. Are you a member of another church? Uh, are you a Christian? All right, if you are a Christian, what's your background? Are you a believer at all? Have you yourself been baptized? If we baptize this child, will this child be raised in a Christian home? Will this child be taught the Christian faith? Will this child be taught the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and the Creed? Will this child be brought up in fear and admonition of the Lord? These are all important questions. And the couple said, well, no, not really. So I said, well, then why would you want your child to be baptized? And they said, because our parents kind of really want us to do this. And this happens, right? not just to me, but to clergy all the time. And it was a really nice and really respectful conversation. And after we were done, they were, they, were, they, were, they were okay with me saying no. But I did say no, because the waters of baptism, it's not something that, that 
we enter into to appease a family member who really wants the child baptized because they see that as sort of like they're, they're getting into heaven card just in case things go wrong. That's not how it works. And I, and I think that idea, right, of, of the waters of baptism, if we can just make sure we apply it at the right time, they're in, so if something bad happens, they can go to heaven. I think that's reflective of a, of a, troublesome, a troublesome theology. But the waters of baptism aren't something that we just do because we want to appease somebody. The waters of baptism are something that are, that are salvific and, and sanctifying for us. The next thing I want us to talk about is um, the whole Passover narrative, including the Red Sea, is a, a picture of the gospel story. A picture of, of the gospel story. So in the story, you know, God is taking his people out of slavery, right? Not only slavery to the Egyptians, right? But since we have this motif in Exodus of God judging the gods of Egypt, they're also enslaved to, to evil spiritual forces, evil wicked demonic powers. He's bringing them out. He's leading them through the sea. And he wants to bring them into the, into the land so he, they can come and serve him at his mountain. So when we look at the gospel story, right, we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he is incarnated of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. We, he is then crucified. He descends to the realm of the dead, and he liberates the spirits in prison, and then he resurrects. And then, and then 40 days later, he ascends into heaven with a promise to return, and then he offers us that same gift of eternal life if we would follow him. Right, this isn't just, it, this, this is like the same story. This is the same story. And Christ, as we heard in, in Romans, he's the Lord of the dead and the living. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every knee will bow. And in this story, we saw the knee of the Egyptians bowing before the supremacy of God. But we need to learn that lesson, right? That it's, that's not the way we want to go through the water. Not as enemies, but we want to go through the water so we can become friends of God. And once, and why the waters are perilous for us, brothers and sisters, is because once we pass through those waters, we are answerable for what we do. We are responsible for what God has given us to do. The gifts that he's given us the callings that he's given us, once we pass through those waters, we are answerable for what we will do with them. And we don't like that. We don't like that one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and Christ is going to ask us, what did, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you hide it? Did you use it? Did you use it properly? Did you use it to oppress? Did you use it to bless? And so, basically, to sum up, we see the Egyptians as symbols of pride and sin and rebellion, refusal to obey, and also uh, our, our, our enemy of sin and death, right? And these sins lead them to destruction in the waters, and our own sins will lead us to destruction as well, because Scripture reminds us the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And our obstinate refusal to heed God's voice, the, our refusal to obey the commandments of Christ, our pursuing our sin at the expense of everything else, 
we'll all end up with our own drowning as the waters which are meant for our salvation become a source of destruction. Like I said, a lot in Exodus. <laughs> a lot in Exodus. And I wish that, that this was the text for next Sunday because, uh, you know, we're baptizing uh, my daughter. But I don't write the lectionary. Uh, I just I, I preach out of it. But it's in there. So let us, brothers and sisters, we let us acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Let us not take seriously the salvation that he's offered us through the waters. And as we participate in that liberation from sin and death, it is our job to go and be a witness of the goodness of God, of the love of God, of the salvation and the deliverance that he's called to all people. It's our job to be a witness to that, to proclaim that, because we have to proclaim it. We can't just say we're going to act like Christians and then that's going to draw people. We actually need to proclaim what's been done. That's part and parcel of with living like a Christian is proclaiming what Christ has, has done for us. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Lansman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malansman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need. GoFundMe.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you. Amen.